Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Now, the topic was kind of the kingdom of God within, but uh, we can't see within. We can't see what's going on inside you. So how do we know if you, how do you know if you are finding the kingdom of God? Because that's what you're supposed to be seeking. Seeking after, striving, persevering. And... Uh, how far does this go, this kingdom of God within? And if it is within you, shouldn't it also be manifested in what you do? Because we're told you'll know them by their fruits. And the fruits are what you see. You see them doing. And so therefore you say, well, yeah, that's that's them. I mean, the fruits is not necessarily success as people like to think of success. I mean, Christ was crucified on the cross. That didn't look like success. That but that was the fruit of the kingdom of God for him was crucifixion. And, uh, and of course, resurrection. But everybody didn't see the resurrection. Uh, I mean, a lot of people don't believe that it took place because it's just men telling you. It's kind of like I saw an interview of somebody who was saying, which is more important, the Constitution or the uh, Sharia law? And, of course, you know, the, the Muslims were saying Sharia law because Sharia law was given by God. The, the Constitution was just created by men. But nobody actually saw God handing the Sharia law to anybody. It was men who wrote it down and said that God gave them this law. I mean, we haven't even seen the tablets of stone. We just have what people wrote down and said that God gave me this. <laughs> so, so... Somebody has to accept somebody's word for it. So you tell me you're a Christian. Should I accept your word for it? No, I want to see your fruits. I want to see the fruits of this Christianity, Christianity that is within you, this, this Holy Spirit that is guiding you. Well, I look at what you're doing and I, I may think that it's the Holy Spirit. I may think it's not the Holy Spirit. But that's my opinion. That don't make it so. And so, if I tell you, yeah, I think you're saved, does that make you saved? No. If I say you're not saved, does that make it so? No. That's my opinion. There's my opinion. There's your opinion. And then there's the truth. Truth is the reality. But most people can't handle the truth. They can't handle reality. That's why they drink, they smoke, they... They carouse, they they do all kinds, of turn up the music, you know, because they can't handle reality. They need something else to comfort them, to make them feel okay. You know, they say, you know, like, I, well, I, I smoke because it helps me cope. No, it helps you not cope because you can't handle the truth. You know, that's that's why you do these things, you know, take drugs, smoke drink, you know, whatever it is that is your distraction. 
so how do we, how do we know? Well, obviously, if somebody is smoking and drinking and carousing and committing adultery and murdering people and lying all the time, well, we can pretty much say they're not saved. You know, because they're not manifesting the fruits of Christ. You know, they're, they're still addicted to the world. They're of the world. They're of the things that are in the world. and But they're of those things. And that's one of the things that Christ said was, you know, these are the ones that I have kept. These are the ones who were in the world, but not of the world. You know, he's he's telling us something about um, the nature of things. And, of course, the word world there is not the word for planet, and it's not the word for inhabited places, and it's not the word for age. It's the word that means constitutional order or system of government. And it's that world that they were not to be a part of. It was that world that was to be this something separate. Um, and so, anyway, we're talking about this kingdom of God at hand, but the kingdom is also within you. And just to give you an idea, one of the things that everybody says is, uh, you know, that I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart as my personal Savior, and therefore I'm saved, right? You know, I mean, that's the... That's the line people throw out. But Jesus said, if you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. That's a direct statement. He's telling you conditions here. You can tell me you've accepted Jesus, but you haven't forgiven. Neither are you forgiven. If you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. Wow. That's serious. So, there's a lot of people going around saying that they're saved, that they've accepted Jesus, and they haven't really done that. They haven't really forgiven. They, I mean, if you're getting angry at people, they say something, they do something, and you get all upset. How could you be upset if you'd forgiven them? Well, chances are you haven't forgiven them. You've just fooled yourself about this forgiveness thing. And so, guess what? The Father hasn't forgiven you. Because you won't forgive. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay, who is somebody that people find a real hard time forgiving? The government. People are always telling me about the government did this, the government did that. Congress didn't have any power to do this. It's that dirty rotten Congress. You know, the president, the Democratic president, the Republican president. Everybody's mad at these guys. And they're very unforgiving about it. Now, I've seen some people say, oh, I forgive him. I just hate what he does. You know, they haven't really forgiven him. You know, I mean, some people are very good at that sing-songy forgiveness. You know, I've seen a lot of really crazy things going on lately, uh, you know, and you you think like, I mean, I, I don't know if it's one of those deals where, you know, everybody's talking about shark attacks being way up and why are sharks attacking all these people and 
And the reality is it wasn't shark attacks that were up at all. They were actually down. The number of shark attacks reported that year were way beneath what they normally would be. But there was more video cameras on the beach. (laughs) More people with uh, iPhones. And they videoed the shark attacks. And so therefore it was more shark attack reports because they had film at 11. (laughs) They put the film on. So you were hearing more about shark attacks, but there were actually less attacks. So I don't know really if there's more crazy things. You know, somebody tries to kidnap a 12-year-old girl right in the middle of the day in the middle of a dollar store and he's dragging her off and and you hear about these crazy things that people do. You know, somebody, I guess, was just shot a bunch of times. And just somebody walked up and shot, shot her, killed her. His brother uh, tackled the guy. And uh, the guy immediately turned the gun on himself and shot himself. And that's a that's a common pattern we see with these crazy shooter guys. Is that when they're cornered, they shoot themselves. What's what's going on? Why why that particular pattern? And I was talking to somebody just the other day, explaining to them the mechanics of the kingdom of heaven, the metaphysical mechanics of the kingdom of heaven. You know, the the famous scientist Akaku was just talking about proof of God. And that God is a mathematician. And he, he was talking about mathematics and celestial mechanics and and uh, calculus and how these things all came about and in order to figure. And then now string theory with multiple dimensions, you know, 10 to 12 dimensions and super dimensions and super calculus to figure out all these things. And, you know, are, are these scientists just blowing hot errors there's something to what they're saying multiple dimensions you know where there could be people living in a dimension right in the same place as you are but in another dimension so that you do not bump into them and uh you know i've seen demon possession i've seen seen the effects of demonic influences in in people's lives and you you could probably YouTube it and uh, see what looks like demonic possession. Of course, people's, you know, psychiatrists will say, well, no, this is a mental illness. And and it actually sometimes is both. But, you know, there, there are lots of levels to demonic possession. Some sort of spiritual entity supposedly inhabits another person's body will actually take over that body and what what are the stories in the Bible? How they hurt themselves, they throw themselves into the fire, you know. And the stories of them cutting themselves and and injuring themselves, and and you see them while they're possessed, and and their movements change, their facial muscles change, and uh, it's as if somebody's trying to take over, but not quite coordinated enough to move all the body parts. And sometimes it's just influence. Thoughts in the mind. Go kill these people. You know, this is 
it's the ideas appear in the mind and they think it's them or they think it's God telling them. There's some lady at a, I guess it was at a McDonald's or something and she wanted nuggets and it was too early for nuggets. They, they, they didn't serve nuggets at that time. And she gets out of her car and starts, you know, uh, attacking the people at, at McDonald's and smashing the window and just crazy behavior. Is that demonic? Is she just crazy? Is it a psychosis? Is it a combination of all those things? And so why am I talking about this if I'm going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven within? Well, if the kingdom of heaven is a dimension in which God dwells, and Akaku is right that God is a mathematician amongst other things. <laughs> and so... And, and, and God has this realm we call heaven where everything is is great and uh, the people are loving and sharing and blessing one another but have also accepted the truth about themselves and they have forgiven so that they could be forgiven so that they could be in that realm What's the other realm look like? And and I, often you define something that you can see by by the contrast of other things. I mean, that's why there's a black and white. That's why there's light and darkness. And so that you can see the contrast because in that contrast we we can perceive the image of what we're looking at. If everything was white, there's no contrast and you just can't see. I mean, it's just invisible, which is a little bit like what another dimension is. Everything is outside of the spectrum of your ability to perceive it. It's in this other realm. It's right here, but it's in another realm so that you can't experience it. But are there connections? I mean, are these realms touching up against one another? Can you reach from one realm to the other? And of course, like I said, scientists are spending millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to open the door to these other realms. And uh, there's some really bizarre stuff going on in the world today. And we can get all caught up in the in the craziness of it. But really what we want to do is see the truth about ourselves where are we at in relationship to these realms we call heaven or the realm we call hell you know the, there was a bishop who was coming out recently and saying that the church just made up this idea of hell and of course there's several words in the in the text that are translated into hell and they all mean the same thing and I, I absolutely agree. Our image of hell has been manufactured a great deal out of very sketchy theology. And I, I don't want to paint a picture of hell, fiery, burning, you know, and all these tortures and all that kind of stuff. It's a dog-eat-dog realm. It's a you know, with the dogs that return to their vomit, that's what they're doing, is they're going back to that realm. So, to put it in practical 
sense, how do you get to the good realms and avoid the bad realms? It has to do with what's going on within you. Are you forgiving so that you may be forgiven? Are you giving so that you may be given unto? Are you are you loving one another so that you may be loved? So that you may be forgiven? Uh What's going on in your heart? Because, see, if you're not forgiving, neither will my Father forgive you, is telling you that you cannot get into that realm if you carry with you the behavior, the pattern, the frequency of demons, of the way demons do things. Now, all demons aren't, you know, slobbering and frothing at the mouth. All evil doesn't do that, whether you want to call it, you know, spiritual demons or physical demons. You know, like the guy down the street or the guy who is kidnapping the 12-year-old in the dollar store. I mean, why is he doing that? I mean, what's his plan? I mean, like, where does he think he's going to just drag her out of the store and put her in his car and drive her home? How do you figure you're going to get away with that? It's crazy. But there's never been a shortage of crazy people. So what's what's really going on here? How do we get closer to the kingdom of God, closer to that realm which gives light and understanding? Well, for one thing, when you get closer to that realm, you're going to see more light. You're going to see more truth. And guess what? Some of that truth is going to be about you. Now, some people say, oh, I can see that the government did this and the government did that. That, that. That's not a good focus. What did you do? What was your part in all this? How, you know, and this is why I constantly am pointing this out, which it seems like I'm always scolding people, but I'm, I'm saying this is really simple. To get, draw near the kingdom. There's a very simple pattern that you need to follow. You know, it's it, it's it's planned out. It's like a path, a spiritual path. If you walk that spiritual path, you're actually going to find it difficult to walk it at times. It's not because, you know, that you're going to earn your salvation. But you will be drawn near the righteousness of God, the Spirit of God, the the spiritual uh, realm of God. If you walk a particular pattern in your life, you have a particular conversation. They use that word conversation in your life. Our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our administration of public affairs is in heaven. I'm using these alternate definitions of the words that we see in the Bible by Paul, by Peter, when describing the kingdom of God. It's very important that we walk that walk, not because we're going to earn something, but because we're going to come head to head 
with things that we need to repent of. Our own prejudices, our own selfishness, our own deceptiveness and willingness to accept deception rather than the truth. We have to walk that walk so that we can see. You know, again, it's like the prodigal son. He can't just stay where he's at and say, I wish I was in my father's house. You know, like Dorothy tapping his heels together and then he's just going to appear in his father's house. No, he actually puts on his traveling shoes and heads that way. Walks the walk. Not just talks the talk. Somebody said on one of the groups, uh, I think it was somebody on the Africa group, or, uh, that there's so much to read. <laughs> you know, because I have all this material that we've laid out uh, preparing you and stuff that you can read. Most of that information is to help you set down what you're already carrying because you read something else before you talk to us. <laughs> And many of those things that you've accepted aren't true. And so you have to set it down. Let it go. It's not true. It's like Farley's change. You're dragging these untruths. And one of the things that draws you away from the kingdom of God is a physical religion. A physical religious philosophy. Do this, you're accepted. Think this thought, you're accepted. Accept this idea and you will be in the kingdom. That's witchcraft. You're conjuring up your salvation by what you do. And, and the very people who do this are the people who say there's nothing you can do in order to be saved. Yet, by accepting my particular brand or interpretation of the Bible or the Gospel, you will be saved. That's what people are telling you. That you can save yourself by your thoughts. By accepting certain ideas. You cannot... You can be saved. You cannot save yourself. That's why sacrifice comes from a word that means to draw near. It's not you drawing near. It's you being drawn. Because you made this sacrifice. And if you read the parables of Christ on this subject. You will see that there's there's all sorts of. Uh, ideas that are uh, shared with us by Christ about this whole idea of what the kingdom actually looks like. Like in John fifteen nineteen, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. What does that mean? What What is he trying to tell us there? And of course you have to go to the word world. But we'll do that when we come back. 
So, we were reading John fifteen nineteen. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. He's not talking the planet there. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Well, they never left the planet. They, that word world there meant the constitutional order and system of government that was both in Judea and Rome and Greek city-states and many of these places. It's where the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other took from one class of citizen, 1%, 10%, 20%, or maybe foreigners, and provided benefits to the people by taking away from others. This is what John the Baptist was calling the people to repent of. Until John the Baptist, people were trying to establish the kingdom of heaven by force. Forced contributions. But always, always, from the very beginning, it was free will offerings that was to support the needy of society. When you strayed from that, you drew closer to hell and destruction. Condemnation was not far from you. And now you complain about the government. You complain about the government as if the government is to blame for your covetousness. It is your covetousness that has made you merchandise, not the government. It is not the government's fault. It is your fault for tempting the government by giving it so much power. Why? Because you've been slothful in the ways of Christ. So you want to seek the kingdom of God? you have to seek to learn to live without the benefactors who exercise authority, without the fathers of the earth, the conscripted fathers of the earth, who provide for one another, provide for the people by taking away from their neighbor. John the Baptist said it's so clear, it's so simple, it's right there in front of you. If there is a need in your society, fill that need with charity. Not with force. Don't use force. Use charity. That's simple. That's not complicated. You tell me, no, you have to believe that Jesus is God. If you believe that Jesus is the ruling judge of your life, why aren't you taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity? If you're not taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity in your society, you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in John the Baptist. You don't believe that Jesus is God. You you have a form of godliness, but you deny His power. Because that's where the true power comes from. By actually spending your life on love. For one another. You go out and work. I was out in the field working before sunup. Fixing a motor. To move a irrigation line. And. Uh, there was frost. <laughs> out on the desert. Uh, this morning. On June 11th. Because <laughs> we're very high up. 
so much for global warming. And people are talking about real hot temperatures going to be in the Midwest or wherever. And people have to be careful being out. And we're having frost in the morning. Going to get a high of like 65 today. There's going to be weather changes. Actually, we're probably entering a cooling period. And there will be great tribulation if we do. Because crops will fail. People will go starve. People in America are going to starve. And they should starve. They should suffer. Because they've been coveting their neighbor's goods for over a century. They haven't been taking care of the welfare of society through faith, hope, and charity. Like Abraham, like John the Baptist, like Jesus Christ, like the early church. Oh, they got their doctrines. They got their dogmas. They got their studies. They, oh, they, they know, oh, you gotta see it this way, you gotta see it that way, but they aren't doers of the word. This is why we set up the network so that people could form congregations. You form a congregation, you do it by giving something. That's the jump start you, that's annying up your half shekel, your dime. You give something to a minister that you want to work with. You're not joining a congregation. You're not in so, you, you, you think that in your congregation are not going to be sinners? If you will only congregate with people who are not sinners, you got nobody to congregate with. You know, I'm only going to congregate with people who are saved. Well, you ain't, you congregate so that ye might be saved. <laughs> you aren't saved. Oh, you've thought a thought? Oh, and you think that saves you. Have you forgiven everyone? Forgiven the government? Forgiven your father? Forgiven your mother? Forgiven your neighbor? Forgiven your fourth grade English teacher? <laughs> Have you forgiven all these people? Do you still have buttons that people can push? They say a certain thing, do a th certain thing, and you get upset. If that's so, that's evidence you have not forgiven. And the kingdom of heaven is not within you. Now, it may start. And I understand that it's a process. And I'm not faulting you for the fact that you are not yet perfected. Well, what if the prodigal son said, I, you know, I was better off in my father's house. I'm going to head back there. And halfway back, he met this really cute girl from uh, Canaan. <laughs> and he said, well, I might do a little bit more carousing first before I go back to my father's house. Well, then his father isn't going to come out and meet him. He isn't going to be saved. He isn't saved. Uh, there's a whole parable about the guy who uh, Jesus asked him, you know, uh, see, well, whether of them twain did the father, uh, the will of his father. And this is back in Matthew twenty-one thirty-one. 
you know, and if we uh, if we go and we read uh, 23, 21, 23. Uh, and when he came into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? Who gave thee this authority? Why, why are they asking him this? What, what, what is this conversation all about? This, he's, he's just teaching. He's telling people stuff. Um, that's actually from the word didasco, the word teaching, to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them to deliver a didactic discourse. In other words, he's in there telling people what to do. He's gone into one of the major government buildings in Judea. And he's instructing them in the buildings, telling them what to do. I mean, we see him in the royal treasury telling people what to do. He's running the show. And they say, who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered unto them and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he says, the baptism of John. He's going back to John. Whence was it? Was it from heaven? Now, the word heaven there, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the world. Melchizedek was the king of the world, the king of Salem, the king of peace. Adam and Eve, king of the world. They were given dominion. Seth, given dominion. Abraham, given dominion by Melchizedek. From generation to generation, this should pass from in all of us. We don't have dominion. We've given it up for benefits because we can cope with the truth. We ask somebody else to cope with reality and save us from it. So he says, the baptism of John's, whence was it? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned with themselves saying, hey, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not believe him? Well, what did what did John say? John said, "Take care of one another through charity." You know, if someone is, doesn't have enough clothes, do it to fulfill that need through charity. Uh, if someone doesn't have enough food, fulfill that need through charity. What were they doing in the temple at that time? They were taxing the people. To fulfill those needs in a system of Corbin that was making the word of God did not affect. He says, So why didn't you listen to John and go back to charity, go back to free will offerings, go back to being doers of the word, which says to love one another, not force one another? If you put that picture together, all these people going to church out there who think they're saved but are going to the benefactors who exercise authority for their every want and need, 
are wantonness, lascivious workers of iniquity. And the preachers who tickle their ears so that they keep doing this are not only not entering the kingdom of heaven, they're keeping other people from entering the kingdom of heaven because they are lying to them about the simplicity of the gospel. So when we say form a congregation, how much did you give in your congregation to help the needy of the world, the whole world, not just the needy of your congregation, the whole world? I mean, Christ came and died for the whole world that it might be saved. What did you do this week for the whole world? If you did nothing or little, then Christ is only in you that much, which is either nothing or very little. He goes on to say, But if we shall say, O men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Because John said, This is the one that's going to come after me. He didn't say he was the Messiah. He didn't know he was the Messiah, which is why he sent messengers later and saying, Are you the one? Because John didn't know. John knew Jesus was a good man better than he was. And he wanted Jesus to follow him as literal high priest of the faithful. There was a high priest in the temple, the physical temple. But the ones who were faithful creating that living temple that God always wanted us to build was John the Baptist. And then Jesus goes on and says, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I I will not. But afterwards he repented and he went and he worked into the field. And he came to the second and he said, Likewise. And he answered, I will go, sir. And he went not. He didn't go. He said he was going to do it, but he didn't do it. Whether of them twain, he says, did the will of the Father. They say unto him the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, the publicans, that's the government, the tax collectors, and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. So, what's he telling you? What's he saying? You go to church. You tell me you've accepted Jesus. But you still keep going to benefactors who exercise authority to obtain all your social welfare. You are not saved. You have not accepted Christ. You say, well, wait a minute, I paid in to these things and I, I deserve these social welfares. Forgive them. They know not what they do. They, they are taking from one another. They are coveting one another's goods. They are becoming merchandise. They are becoming surety for debt. So what do we say? We say gather together and take care of this business 
yourselves. Find men of righteousness amongst you. Pick men you choice and choose and contribute to their effort to take care of the needy of their society. Now, I understand this is going to be a step-by-step process. It's not going to happen overnight. But destruction is coming overnight. It is coming upon you soon. Are you ready to be liberated by Christ? If you're not gathering together to take care of one another, both near and far, both those who love you and those who you do not know, then you are not pursuing the kingdom of God with much diligence. You are being slothful in the ways of God and that's how you got to where you are today. And the reason I tell you this is to make you uncomfortable with your comforter. Because your comforter is not the Holy Spirit. Your comforter has been the false teachings of men who have led you away from the ways of Christ, away from the repentance He called us to make, and closer and closer to the kingdom of hell. And the beautiful thing is, is all you have to do is turn around and start caring about other people. I can guarantee you, you will not care about other people as much as you need to care about other people. But at least start in that direction. Gather together. I know your families take a lot of time. I know work takes a lot of time. Do not be slothful. Be diligent. And God will draw you near in ways you do not even see now. He will send you revelations. And understandings of what is coming and how to prepare, how you need to prepare for it. There is no better preparation than repentance. If you will not repent, if you will not think a different way, then you have not repented and you are not saved. You need to think a different way. And act upon what you are now seeing. That the kingdom of heaven is within you if you make room in you for Christ. If there is room in you for Christ, then why are not you coming together to serve one another? Not force each other to conform to what you have decided, the vocabulary you have decided, the verbiage you have decided, the thoughts you have decided everybody should have. It's amazing how this creeps in, this idea that they need to think like me. No, you all need to think like Christ. Who came to serve, to sacrifice himself. Are you coming together to serve and sacrifice yourself? Or are you coming together for what you can get? Are you coming together at all? Are you touching one another's lives at all in a positive way? Are you strengthening the poorness in all of us? All of us are poor in spirit. 
And and this is why we're probably in the second half we're going to talk about the mechanics of the kingdom. The this metaphysical mechanics. And I've 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 been alluding to it. Uh you know, we we will share a great deal with people who want to become laborers in the kingdom of God. If you want to become ministers and laborers in the kingdom of God, you can come out and, uh, you know, by arrangement, and we will start sharing with you some of these things. You know, and we will talk to you. We will give you stuff to read. We will work with you. And you, but the kingdom of God takes a huge, you know, if you were, you're going to raise a family. Anybody who's raising a family, uh, married, understand the difficulties of marriage, you know, and uh, the challenges of marriage. Most marriages that fail, fail because people fail to handle the truth about themselves. You can bring your spouse to realization of the truth if you are immersed in forgiveness and giving. There's power in that. Spiritual power, metaphysical power in that forgiveness and love and service and self-sacrificing. I've seen it over and over again that if all you have to do is willing to let your spouse crucify you and you will come together. You you crucify yourself before your spouse. You come together to serve as Christ came to serve the church. How did he do this? He died so that they might be free and might be saved from condemnation, which was due them because they had been slothful and because they had been covetous in the ways of God. You have done the same. To a greater degree than even back then. And yet you tell me you're saved? That's not the way it works. It doesn't work that way. That you can do contrary to what Jesus was saying and still... Consider yourself saved. You can't. Judge yourself by your fruits. See, most of the preachers, you know, I've some fairly famous preachers, well-known preachers, I've pointed these things out. And they won't go there. They won't tell their people that they need to create their own system of social welfare within the church that takes care of all the needs of the members of their church, the the participants, their congregants. Now, I know that that will take a while to get to the point where you get up to speed and you can actually do that. But if you do not start now, it's just going to be that much harder when there is no other alternative. Because the unrighteous mammon will fail. You're not ready for the freedom that Christ came to bring. You have to go through the plagues 
You have to go through the famines. You're not getting raptured. You're going to have to face these things in love with your fellow man. Caring about your fellow man as much as you care about yourself. And so all I'm doing is showing you a way to start that process and learn those skills again that were the skills of the early church. Were the skills of the early Israel who got through the famines of Egypt, got through the deserts of of uh, the wilderness because they began to walk in the ways of God. That's where we need to go. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and I'm talking to you about the kingdom of God. And there is a physical kingdom of God, and there is a spiritual kingdom of God, just like there is a physical you, and there is a spiritual you. And so you can talk about you, you know, you got, you know, a hand over here, and you got fingers and a thumb, and you got feet, and you can do all these things, and that's your physical capacity. You have spiritual fingers, and you have a spiritual thumb and a spiritual hand. And they have activities too, because you're sticking your spiritual finger where they do not belong. You're sticking your spiritual nose where it does not belong. You're following spiritual, spiritual paths you should not be following. 
And that spiritual path that you're following brought about the physical realm you now see all around you. You are creating the history of your people today. And the today you see is a creation of what you did yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And so I, I had put up an article on cashless societies and uh, I had written about it before, cashless society, on our uh, one of our money articles. And, and I pointed out a lot of facts and information that a lot of people aren't familiar with. You know, I mean, like uh, John Law, uh, who was born into a family of bankers way back in the 1600s. And how he urged the establishment of a national bank to create an, an increase of instruments of credit and the issue of banknotes to be used as if they were money, as if they were cash. Because everybody knew back then, you can read novels written back even in the 1800s where somebody is trying to use a banknote in the store and he says, no, we accept cash only. Because a note was not a, was cash. I mean, it's just obvious. I mean, it's just, ba- you know, I had one of these guys who, you know, study, 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 and they can't even see the truth right in front of them. They say, oh, no, notes were always considered cash. Absolutely, that's just ridiculous. He just says that like he's an authority. But you, like I said, you can you can read even novels of the time were making that distinction. And, and when I go a little bit into the history of the word and, you know, where it came from. And and uh, it's actually a combination of two different words from two different ends of the world. One is a French word, which is where you cash something like a box. Another word that means coin. That's actually a Hindu word, a Sanskrit word. And cash was coins, gold and silver. You already live in a cashless society. You don't have any. You have base metals and and uh, you know like iron coin that cost you more to make than they're worth. You know, like a penny. What does a penny cost? Four or five cents. And uh, even a zinc penny costs you two cents to make. Not very smart, you know. But. We call paper money cash, and now we're moving on to a cashless society that is, you know, where it's all going to be digital. And it can all disappear in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> I use that twinkling of an eye because people know, didn't the Bible say something about a twinkling of an eye? But I point out other facts too, besides, you know, the introduction of this, uh, you know, notes as if they were money. Everybody knew they weren't money. That's why they call it a note. It's a note so you can go get money. Because <laughs> it's not money. You, the, this note is redeemable in money. You know, I always thought it was just so basic. You know, like, this note is legal tender and redeemable in lawful money. Well, if it's redeemable in lawful money, it's not lawful money. So it's legal tender. So what does legal tender mean? Tender means an offer. And legal means a binding. This is a binding offer. 
Who's the binding offer from? Well, look on the surface. You know, the Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve. Now those seals have changed because the new money is different because they're going to another step. And, you know, I can explain all this and you can read all this like the person says there's so much to read. You don't have to read this. A note is a promise, is a, a claim. It's not the thing. It's not the thing of value. It's not value today. It's a promise of value when you go and redeem it. That's why it's called a note. It's a note. It's a message to you. And and then I, you know, I add to that little bits and pieces so you can put this all together. I mean, I have more extensive writings on it, but the Temple of Juno. The Temple of Juno was the Temple of Juno Moneta. Moneta, that sounds like money. <laughs> Ancient Roman temple. Uh, that, what? Coin money? Uh... That's, it's, those temples, all these temples were government buildings. That's where you, you know, like that Temple of Saturn is where you registered your birth certificate. Why did you register a birth certificate in Rome? I mean, 2,000 years ago, they had birth certificates. Well, they had benefits. How do we know you were entitled to the benefit? By birth. From generation to generation. Your bondage is from generation to generation. Your benefactors are from generations. That's why they call them conscripted patries. And Jesus said, call no man father. We've gone over this and over this and over this. Unless, of course, you're a new listener. We explain this. How all this works. But the consequences of having legal tenure. And I have, I, I wrote this in there. And it's got all kinds of little uh, links to other articles. These notes eventually called legal tender were considered of value as long as they were redeemable in lawful money, such as gold and silver coin. Uh, Gold and silver coin was considered cash. Cash in the mind of the 1800s is still defined as, was still defined as gold and silver and even copper coin. All banknotes were rejected as not being cash in any establishment that had a cash-only policy. You know, that's based on actually reading books of that time. What they said at that time. This, But this term, legal tender, is a euphemism uh, used in our modern thinking. Again, it's a binding offer. And it's not like most banknotes. Original, I mean, there were banknotes around long before the Federal Reserve. These are three-party banknotes. Because you're a surety for the debt of the note. They're loaned into circulation. They're legal tender loaned into circulation on your behalf. By your rulers, who are not just representatives. People all want to blame this on Congress and the government. You guys are doing it. It's you. So they they said, well, if we could just get back to lawful money, everything would be okay. No. No, it will not be okay. You have to get back to lawful hearts. You have to stop coveting your neighbor's goods. You have to start caring. Do Not only stop coveting your neighbor's goods, but you have to start caring about your neighbor as much as yourself. 
the only way you can show me that you're doing this is to gather together so that you're actually taking the time to keep track of one another so that none of you is lost or left behind or is injured and, and, and found in a ditch by somebody else. You should know where your brother is. You are your brother's keeper. Not to keep him in, in a system of social welfare uh, under the authority of men who exercise authority one over the other. But to be the benefactors who actually care about your brother and take care of your brother. And you should do this with brothers who are sinners. Because you are a sinner. That's what makes him your brother. I can't think of anything more important than coming together in congregations that actually are, are daily trying to learn what it means to love thy neighbor as thyself. Not passing judgment on one another. Leave judgment to God. You're not very good at it right now. If you look out in the whole society, it shows nothing but bad judgment. We all are suffering from bad judgment. Leave judgment to God. Judge not, lest ye be judged. By the same judging that you choose to judge, so shall ye be judged by. So judge not at all and leave judgment to God. And therefore, by not judging, you also leave mercy to God. Now your sacrifice will be accepted as if it was righteousness. Because you're not righteous. You're not going to be gathering in a congregation of righteous people. If you could find one, they wouldn't let you in. Because you're not righteous. So find any congregation willing to seek the kingdom of God and persevere with them. Stick at it. Don't say, oh, well, there's so much trouble and, oh, you know, oh, he doesn't agree with me on this and, and oh, I don't know if I should fellowship with somebody who thinks this thought instead of my thoughts. Where's the love in that? I mean, can you do that with your children? And you say, oh, my kids, uh, my kid disagreed with me, so I threw him into the ditch. You know. The baby cried too much at night, so I chucked him out. You, you can't do that with your family. You can't do that with your brother. You have to stick it out. If you raise the level of light coming from your own heart by sacrificing all those comforting dark thoughts that you have now, those that are evil will leave. They will abandon you. They will go somewhere else. That's how you drive out demons. You have more in common with demons than you realize. You have more in common with the Pharisees than you realize. People say, well, I don't take those benefits. You're young. You're strong. Yeah, you don't take those benefits. But are you a benefit? Christ didn't come and take benefits. Christ came to serve. Are you coming to serve? Where's your congregation? Where's the group of people that you're going to practice learning to care about? Now, that, that group may change. You know, people will come and go. But you should have somebody that you care about. And one of those things in that home church caring about one another, one of the things 
that you need to care about is people who are not in your congregation. Maybe they're not in your congregation yet. Maybe they're in another congregation many miles away. But you have to love not only those who come together in your congregation and supposedly love you, but you have to love those far away. You have to give that they may have enough. Now, you don't have to give to me. You have to give to somebody and you have to do it in a way that tries that you're at least trying to strengthen the poor. To encourage the poor. Not comfort them in their foolishness and their sloth and their avarice. And encourage them to become diligent souls also for Christ. And so why not look for other people gathering together in congregations? And yeah, they're on a journey and they're struggling and they're trying to figure out. Except by the grace of God, there go you. You wouldn't know anything about God except by His grace. Blessed are you because you know this, not because flesh and blood has revealed it to you, but my Father in heaven. So if you know anything, if you know anything, you only know it. It only benefits you if you know it by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. But I can guarantee you, you know all kinds of stuff that you know not because of the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Because you read it somewhere. You heard it somewhere. You studied it. And that's not enough. Now, I'm not saying that what you know is wrong. It may be wrong. It may be right. But it doesn't do you any good unless it's a product of the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's just the tree of knowledge otherwise. It's actually a danger to you. The more you learn, the more you read and study, the more dangerous it can become. It can become because of the fact that it may puff you up. And you may think you're better than somebody else who hasn't learned what you think you know is true. May be true, may not be true. But if they have to know what you know in order for you to gather with them, uh uh-uh, that don't that don't cut it. Now obviously if they're if they're out there doing damage, you what should you do? Go and rebuke them. I mean, damage having a a different idea than you about God does not make you another religion because religion isn't having an opinion about God. That's not religion. That's what modern religion wants you to think. Religion is the pious fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. Your duty to your fellow man is to manifest the truth. To shine the light of Christ on their life. That doesn't mean to jabber in their ear that so they can accept your catechism. It may include that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means to actually bring light into the room. Did you know that's how you cast out demons? You don't do it. Even Christ said, hey, it's not me. It's your faith that saved you. He was an instrument of that salvation, but without your faith, there was going to be no healing in most every case that Christ healed. 
He was a conduit of the light of God shining through him, but could shine on you because you were willing to accept the truth. You were willing to handle the truth about you. This is the mechanics of the kingdom. It's not about what you accomplish. It's about surrendering to the will of Christ, the will of the Father. And service is a surrender. It's surrendering your time, your energy, your life, in hope for benefit to others. How do you do that? million ways to do that. But you must be diligent in that. Whatever way it is that God gives you at a particular time. We are fooling ourselves so much. Quiet your minds. Humble your hearts. You know, the I talk about the, the consequences of legal tender in the article cashless. And the consequences of legal tender uh, on almost every aspect of society. Legal tender can only purchase a legal title. And then if you if you follow the links, you can go to uh, pages that will explain to you what a legal title is. Legal title is not a lawful title. It appears to be a title, but it carries with it no beneficial interest. It makes you no longer the man upon the land. It it brings you into subjugation. brings you into the bondage of Egypt. That's just one little aspect of it. Because you can't actually... It's not of present value. A legal tender is an offer for a future payment. You cannot pay a debt with a note. This this is this is common sense, but it's also common law. It, it's not just common law; it's natural law. If I say I will give you a nickel tomorrow for a hamburger today, as Wimpy does, I may get the hamburger today, but I have not paid for it. I told you I would. And that's what the note is, saying that you can get payment somewhere else, except for now you can't. They actually have no value now. Anyway, there, there's a, a dozen, in the next two par- paragraphs on the page, there's a dozen links to just article after article that shows you how the system works. But what you need to know is how the spiritual system works. Because unless you change spiritually, this repentance thing, changing the way of your mind, it doesn't matter if I tell you do all the other reading. The only reason that other writing is there is to help you let go of the idea that it's the government's fault for your present state of being. To let go of the idea that it's somebody else's fault for your present condition. It's your fault. But that's good to know because you can do something about you. You can repent and realize that God saves you as you align with the character of Christ, the mind of Christ, the way of Christ, the way he said to go. You're not going that way now in your modern churches. A modern Christian doesn't 
take care of the social welfare needs. They go to Rome. They go to Caesar. And they say, you, Caesar, benefactor, hey, who exercises authority, take away stuff from my neighbor so that I can have free education, free health care. And that is, used to be they wouldn't even say that out loud. Now they promise to do that. And millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of Americans will vote for people if they will please take away from my neighbor so that I can have stuff. But it's only the rich people we will take away from. They won't either. It'll be the middle class. The rich people, they got lawyers and accountants. They're not going to pay. Somebody was pointing out back, uh, what was Ronald Reagan, first time he made a million bucks in acting. He was like in a 90% tax bracket. Well, I can guarantee you didn't pay 90% tax. You just just roll the money back into a business that year. You know, or already have businesses where you can roll it back into investments. You buy a business with a big depreciation schedule and you can take all those profits and you won't pay any taxes. You'll postpone the taxes. It's it's easy to do if you got an accountant and a lawyer and a business manager. And if you start making a million bucks or ten million or a billion bucks, they're not gonna pay that those taxes. They say, Well, it's all the wealth is in the hands of one percent, so all we have to do is tax them and then they'll pay for all this. Except for you can't. If you actually taxed all of them, they they it's not gonna happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to tax the middle class. I mean, today, half of the Americans, at one time or another, will be on food stamps. Half! 50% of Americans will be on food stamps during their life. It's, It's crazy. That's not a Christian nation. Christian nation would be taking care of one another and strengthening the poor. What you're looking at today is Sodom and Gomorrah, which were destroyed. But what you're, I'm not telling you to change the nation. I'm just telling you what the nation is doing. It's, it's doing what John the Baptist said. Until John the Baptist, they were establishing everything by force. You have to establish it by the Spirit of Christ. You have to start following and walking in the footsteps of Christ. That means you have repented and turned around. And in order to do that, you have to gather together to do what? Everybody, to do what? What do you, why do you gather together in the name of Christ? What does that mean? It means you gather together to serve. You have to give your time, your energy, and maybe some money, whatever. You have to give. And if there's nobody in your congregation that has a need, then give it to the next congregation. Or congregations. Until you find somebody that you can give to in a way that strengthens them. You have to do this religiously. (laughs) Habitually. Regularly. Persevering. Daily. It wasn't the weekly ministration or the seasonal ministration. It was the daily ministration. 
anybody who says, oh, it's Christmas time, let's put together food baskets. You're crazy. It's not the seasonal administration of charity. It's the daily administration of charity. Taking care of one another. Think about all these churches where these guys go to the church and they don't do anything. Just token stuff to take care of the people that are in the pews next to them. If they have true needs. Why does the Corbin and the Pharisees make the Word of God the none effect? Because you do no more ought for your parents. They got a social security check. They can go play golf. They can, you know, you know, one of the things that has come up in the news just uh, in the last couple of weeks was elder orphans, childless, unmarried baby boomers uh, warned to prepare for the future because they're completely, they have no family a very little family to care for them to take care of them in their old age honor thy father and thy mother so that thy days be long upon the land because if you did not <clears throat> enrich and strengthen and and uh, honor fatten your mother and your father care for your mother and your father your children will not care for you You haven't educated your children. You haven't taken care of your children. You you don't even put the food on your table in many cases. And then why would your kids take care? Everybody everybody's complaining about the the this generation, this me generation, the millennium generation, the selfishness of this generation, and even people like. You know, they're in the media, Tommy, and people like that. They're very outspoken. And they they probably do take care of their parents or are willing to when their parents are going to be in need. They still depended upon Social Security, which is the bulk of that care. You're not taking care. You're a long ways from the kingdom of God. But again, this is a spiritual journey. How does this work spiritually? What does it look like spiritually? What is the actual mechanics? That's where we're going next. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, what are the mechanics of this kingdom within? You can't fake it. You can't. It's not going to be something you do. The reason you do things is so that you come face to face with your own selfishness. That you you say, you know, God shows you here somebody's in the ditch. Help them. 
and you say, oh, I've got to go do this, or he's not a part of my congregation, or I can go and do something else, or I've got, I've, I've got, I've got to go bury my father, I got to, you know, all these excuse making that Jesus talks about. And then you get to see that it was an excuse. And then you can get to repent. The, the doing is to help you become aware of the spiritual reality of your own heart. Or the not doing. And see, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm not tickling your ears, I'm smacking you upside of the head. You're not taking care of the social welfare of your church or your congregation or your Christian people. Through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You're taking care of them through the Corbin of the Pharisees. Through the benefactors of the, who, who exercise authority one over the other. Through the fathers of the earth. All which Christ said not to do. And yet you go and you sit in those churches and you say you love Jesus and they generate an emotional feeling and experience and you accept that tickling. That comforting. As if it were the Holy Spirit. I feel that it's about a relationship with Jesus. But you're not showing the fruits of that relationship with Jesus that the early church showed. As a matter of fact, when I bring that up, you say, oh no, it's not by works. No. It's by true repentance. True changing of your thinking. And you haven't changed it. You're thinking like the Pharisees still. And so the Holy Spirit really can't enter into you. You can get emotional. Yeah. But it isn't really the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not, I can't tell you when it is and when it isn't because occasionally the Holy Spirit will run out and meet you halfway. I mean, the angels had to eventually go and pick up Lot and move him. Because the guy was just dragging his feet. You may not have an Uncle Abraham praying for you. He may not do that for you. You need to start praying for others so that God can intervene. You need to start giving for others so that God can intervene. You've got to give him something. The prodigal son had to actually keep on going towards his dad's house with the intention of serving in his father's house. He had to take step after step after step in that direction. He couldn't suddenly say, well, I'm going to go to Canaan and get drunk for the weekend. And then my father found me in the bar and still killed the fatted calf. No, no, no. You got to keep going. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. To gather together and work together. Not for what... I don't see us getting anything out of this, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, you didn't come in the name of Christ. I mean, Christ said that. He never ended up on the cross. Well, these guys, you know, because right up to when they were arrested, they're taking off running through the woods. Denying them. He knew they were going to deny him, and he's still going. You quit because you don't see any fruit. I'm not getting any fruit. I'm not getting the emotional charge that I want to get out of religion, is what you're telling me. 
you don't want the Holy Spirit. You want to get emotionally charged up and feel like, oh, this, that, and the other thing. You need to be quiet. You need to study to be quiet. How do you cast out demons? Out of your own life. <laughs> we got to get the demons out of you before I can teach you to get the demons out of others. Like I've said before, most of the time I've seen demons cast out, the people went with them. They didn't want, they didn't want to be saved. If you get a person who really wants to cast out the demons out of themselves, you can help them. Doesn't take that much to help them. You gotta be humble. You gotta be patient. You gotta be forgiving. The mechanics. Multiple realms. And we live in one of them. Heaven up here with a Christ-like character. Hell down here with a rebellious character. Down here, they're going to blame it on everybody else. Every time people are telling me, oh, the government did this, the government did that, you know, the government passed this law and passed that law. They may be facts and you can mention those things. But if you think that's the problem, you're a fool and an idiot. You're the problem. Because you haven't repented. Now, if you see that, once you see that and begin to act upon that, you may also notice that these guys are doing bad things over here. But it doesn't get you off the hook. You get off the hook by stop biting the bait of covetousness, wantonness, slothfulness, unforgiveness. Because that draws you into the dark. That draws you into the hell, into condemnation. So the more you lay down your life for your fellow man in the name of Christ to serve, to strengthen him, the more that baggage is set down, which is usually just, you know, it's like a cancer cell. Cancer cells are usually bigger than all the other cells because the, and they're, they're just coated sometimes with a hard casing, but they're coated with all kinds of stuff. To get rid of those cells. To kill them out. To wipe them out in your own body. You need to repent and think about it in a different way. You need to start thinking like Christ thinks. Who comes to serve. To be of service to others. To sacrifice himself. So that others might be saved. To lay down your life in the name of Christ for others will give you a life more abundant from this other realm we call heaven. You know, Satan is the light bearer. He brings a light. Satan brings a light. He will show you stuff. He will give you light. But the light you want is the light of Christ. Which is the whole light. The the truth. 
And as you bring that light into your life, it's going to include the aspects of Christ's character that evil hates. Not just hates it, but fears it. It's like a hot coal. It like burns them. It is the fire that does consume. And they have to get away from that. Evil has to get away from that. And like I say, most of the time, they will take those that are subject to them with them. If there is repentance in that soul, it, it may free them. But most of you are not really repenting. I don't know about most of you. I don't know who all is listening. But most of the people of the world who claim they are Christians have not yet repented. They are still coveting their neighbor's goods. They're still slothful in the ways of Christ. They're not looking out amongst themselves to find men they trust, to put them over the business of the daily ministration that is funded by the people for the people. They're not doing that. They're going to the benefactors of the world and the the Corbin of the Pharisees and to all these other things that drag them into hell because it's not based on free will offering. It's not based on love. You need to change. You need to awaken. You need to be diligent in that pursuit. And God will change you as you proceed, as you sacrifice your time, your energy. As you do that, God will change you. He will wrought a change in you. He will hammer out a change in you. But if you will not walk that walk... Again, the reason you gather together is so that you will come face to face with your selfishness, with your pride, with your arrogance, with your judgment, with your unforgiveness. You can find a million excuses why not to gather together. There is only one excuse or reason to gather together, and that is Christ. That is, that is repentance. And the evidence of that repentance is the way in which you gather together. We always have people who want to form congregations for all kinds of different reasons. And then they come along and then they all of a sudden they want out of the congregation or they want to dissolve it or they, or they just can't handle it because it offends their egos. It takes up so much time. It, it, it's so inconvenient. And, and they can find all kinds of excuses. You know, they, they can use me as an excuse. I'm so arrogant. I'm so authoritarian. I'm, you know, like Pharaoh. Or I'm this, that, or the other thing. But ask them this. Who have they gathered with since they left us? <laughs> what are they doing that looks like the kingdom of God since they've departed? Oh, I'm sure they can find some nice church that will make them feel good. 
Anyway, there's there's evil afoot in the world today. It's becoming more and more aggressive, more and more abundant. Uh, you're seeing it every corner. You're seeing it advertised on every process or media of exchange. And what do you have in your toolbox to battle that evil? Your hate of government? Your hate of taxation? You know, you don't think God has money and resources? You know, the old George Carlin routine. It says that, you know, he's all powerful, all knowing, all this, but he just can't handle money. He needs more money. <laughs> you know, and I think he's funny, you know. I don't know if God thinks he's funny now, or if he thinks God's funny now. I don't know. I don't know where he is now. But the reality is, is it was an astute observation, and I can't say that it isn't true. The God that those people are worshipping, evidently he can't handle money. The reason I say you give isn't because God needs the money. It's because you need to give. Because that's part of the character. Think of the character of Christ as, you know, like letters of the word character. Or the letters of the Christ. C-H-R-I-S-T. Christ. Or character. C-H-A-R-A-C-T-E-R. Whatever. <laughs> Characters of his name. Those letters. Each of those letters. You know, like M is for the many times. It. Each of those letters is a part of the whole name. Each of them has a sound. In Hebrew, each of them has a meaning. To do things in the name of Christ is to do things in the character of Christ. Are you doing it because you want to serve? Are you doing it because you want people that they might be saved? Are you doing it to give life? <clears throat> all, all these different characteristics of Christ are the character of his name. That's how you spell his name. That is what his name is. That is that to identify his name. So when you walk in his ways and, and, and when you find it difficult to walk in his ways then you get to look at why is that difficult? Why is it so hard to forgive? I, I was listening to a woman at church that was many days ago, and she was saying, I really can't, she was being honest, I, I can't forgive those people. A lot of people said, oh, I forgive them, but they're not really. She admitted, I, I can't forgive people who do that. I, I assume that's wrong, but I'm, I, I just can't do it. That's confession. Confession is the first step to Recovery. I mean, we have a whole website on alcoholism and drug, not a website, but web pages on, on addiction. Always one of the first things about overcoming an addiction is confession. Admission. That you got a problem. You got a problem. You are addicted to the benefactors of exercise authority. You are addicted to being selfish. Because you're not the benefactors who do not exercise authority. You're not giving one another. I mean, what is the the first... No one, he said, this is my stuff. No, they shared. And they gave. 
the work ethic of them that are with Christ is is many many uh, hours of effort and work and that is essential in overcoming evil is the fact that you be diligent. I mean, diligent is one of the words. Christ was diligent. He was steadfast in what he was doing and what he was uh, uh, preaching. Uh, he had a relentless schedule of going here and going there, and they were they were worried about him, exhausting himself. You know, like don't. You know, when the kids are coming up at, during the break, he's saying, they're saying, get, no, 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 he suffer unto me, little children. He, even then, in his break time, he was still giving. You know, we, we work, that's one of the things that people want to come here and learn how to cast out demons and how to lay hands and all these kinds of things. You, and of course, I can't teach you these things. I will talk to you about them. But you must learn them because your teacher is Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you in your hearts and in your minds. Because he's going to write the information you need, the skills. He's going to put them on. You have to practice them. But I can tell you this. If you come here, the work schedule will be long hours. It will be diligent hours. If you cannot, and, and but you have to motivate yourself. You have to find that motivation in your heart and in your mind. Because we aren't an oligarchy. We aren't going to regulate your life. We're not going to impress and, and, and press you into the kingdom. You have to pursue it yourself. You have to seek the kingdom of God at hand, but you have to do it including seeking the righteousness of God, which means to sacrifice, to work without reward, to, because you do not, if I pay you, if I reward you, then what reward have you in the kingdom of God? You have to be diligent in this sacrificing service to others. And it changes you. Or you're changed by the Spirit. You're drawn in mechanically. You will be drawn in closer and closer to these other realms. Which will reach out and touch you. And and like uh, fiber optics, little little strands of light will come into you. You won't even see it. You won't even notice it. You may notice the relief. You know, somebody was talking about, uh, oh, I can't remember exactly how they, they put it, but, uh, one of the things I, I've said over and over again, the beginning of forgiveness is the end of conflict. Forgiveness is absolutely essential. 
And if you're out of your mouth is coming, the government did this and the government did that. We had a whole congregation. All they wanted to talk about was all the conspiracy theories and all of that kind of stuff. And some of that stuff is interesting. I don't mind talking about some of those things. But if that's all that's coming out of their congregation, no wonder people wanted to leave that congregation. The best people would leave that congregation. What are you going to start talking about Christ's conspiracy to set you free? When are you going to start following that conspiracy? How does that system work? Forgive and give. And and see, you're changing the flow of energy in you. When you reach into... And sometimes you have to work yourself to a point of exhaustion so that you can even get down to that part of your soul where you can actually give of where there's nothing left to give but of the Spirit itself. And then when you give of that Spirit, you begin to change the flow from outside excuse making and and taking from others. I mean, what you see in the world today is people are eating one another. The zombie apocalypse is on you right now. The millions upon millions upon millions of zombies out there want to take a bite out of their neighbors so that they can have benefits. How in the world are they going to have a marital relationship with that spirit dwelling in their hearts? So, any person like that is going to end up in divorce. And you go out there and look and see where the divorces are taking place. Or the extramarital affairs, the adultery. All those things in the Ten Commandments that you see thou shalt not do. He's telling you, if you're doing this, you're off the path, fellow. If you're fornicating, committing adultery, bearing false witness, lying, making up stories, gossiping. Evil is very subtle. You can't, again, I said this in the first show, you cannot fake this. You will be drawn in from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, and what happens is that people are drawn in so much, there are so many people that are far down the road where they, they go out and they kidnap, they murder, and then you catch them and they want to kill themselves. Because their brain is actually following a collective consciousness from one of those other realms. You see, the consciousness can actually transfer from realm to realm. And so, as you draw near the realm of hell, by following in the ways of hell, there's still sacrifice there in hell, but it's not going to be willing sacrifice. But you're, you're going to be drawn into that. Your mind becomes a part of that collective consciousness. And you begin to think in those ways. That it's okay to take from your neighbor. It's okay to do this. Because this is the way we do it in the government today. We, we, we tax our neighbor and then we get benefits from the men who exercise authority. And that's okay. Because your brain is close to that realm. Now, if you're getting close to the other realm, suddenly you think, well, I, why would I want that? Why would I want to take from my neighbor? Why would I want benefits from men who exercise authority? Because you'd be close to the other realm. So where are you headed? Well, maybe we'll find out. But until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. 
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.